Ask the Dean, Episode 5. Today, Dr. Wright and myself are going to dive into formal versus informal postbacks. We're going to talk about adversity and how you should address that in your application. Who's a good reference? And much more. If you aren't familiar with MAPT and Ask the Dean, if this is your first time listening, Ask the Dean is a production of MAPT, which is the new technology platform that I have co-founded with my co-founder, Rachel Grubbs, who has had 20 years of experience in the pre-med space as a test prep person. And myself, obviously, you I think you know me, Dr. Ryan Gray of the Medical School Headquarters, Pre-Med Years Podcast. MAPT is a, a new technology platform that is now live as a public beta. You can go to mapt.com, which is M-A-P-P-D.com. There's no E there, M-A-P-P-D.com. You can sign up for a free two-week trial. Go check it out. It's a new platform to help guide you and help you track your journey into medical school. Ideally, you are still uh, at least a year out from applying to medical school. This is not an application tool. This is a tool to help you track everything that you're doing uh, with the ultimate goal of giving you advice on everything that you're putting into MAPT. Right now, we just have the foundation laid with much more coming. Again, mapped.com. And then Ask the Dean is a weekly Facebook Live Q&A that we do inside of our mapped members only group. So that's a, a nice little perk there. So stay tuned for another awesome acidine coming at you right now. One, two, three. Hello. We're live. Map Facebook for another Ask the Dean with director, former director of admissions, Dr. Scott Wright, master of all tests. Yes, 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 yes. Not yes, Dr. Yes. Rachel Grubbs. <laughs> How are you all doing? I'm good. Yeah. Doing well. How about you, Ryan? I'm stoked. I, I think yeah. we should actually do a little bit. We didn't really talk about this before. We should do a little bit of uh, screen sharing inside of the mapped software. Give people yeah. a little a little behind the scenes. I can I can pull that up. Oh yeah, screen. that's a great idea. Fine, yeah. Um, why don't we save that? We'll save that to the end. We'll do some QA now for people that are here hanging out with us. Yeah, and we did have one question from someone who couldn't make it live. Okay. Um, but so if you look in the in the comments, we can see one that um, it's it's from. Well, we're keeping it anonymous, but it says thanks, Rachel Grubbs, and the starter. So you can tell yes, which it. one it is. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So we can start with That's that. Secondary. Yeah. And I'll yeah. hide as usual, but I'll be around, guys. I'll see you later. Bye bye. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to ask a question about secondaries, how I should tackle the adversity challenge one. Is it appropriate to share traumatic experience and how I learned from it? I hesitate from mentioning it since it may not be something that I quote, could go back and do differently. Interesting. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question, but I think it's, uh, I mean, to me, it would depend a little bit on what the event was or what the traumatic experience was. Um, so I, I, but I would say in general, uh, that would be appropriate unless it's something that you wouldn't be comfortable discussing, uh, you know, but if it was the, the, whether or not you can go back and do it differently, is not really the issue. The issue is what the questioner uh, said when he said, um, what I learned from the experience, that's the key. Uh, is what did I get out of this? How did I learn about myself? How did I learn about others and interaction with others or whatever? 
it, it, as long as you are able to sort of talk about that and talk about that in a way that, that says, number one, I learned from this and here's what I learned, blah, blah, blah. And number two, this is why having gone through that, it makes me a fill in the blank person, a, a better person, a more mature person, a more, more enlightened person, yeah. resilient, whatever. Um, then that's what you want to focus on. And yeah. um, so I think that's a great, you know, opportunity to talk about something that was really rich in your life and had rich results for you. Um, so yeah. what do you think, Brian? No, I, I think what you hit on right at the beginning is typically where I go with students for this kind of thing. Not necessarily is yeah. it appropriate or not, but how comfortable are you going to be talking about whatever this is? if it potentially yeah. comes up in an interview. So if, if this is a yeah, question. Yeah, exactly. And my assumption, right, when I when I read a traumatic experience, my assumption unfortunately goes to some sort of sexual assault, right? That's And that's just a reading yeah, between yeah. the lines. I've, I've had so many yeah. students ask, should I talk about this, should I not? And and yeah. I always go to well. First of all, is it is it really answering the question? Yes. Okay. Right. Are you going to be comfortable talking about this if it comes up? And I think the far, far, far majority of interviewers are going to be aware of what you're potentially going to be talking about, and they'll probably stay away from the topic. But I've talked yeah. to students who the interviewer was completely clueless and still ask questions about it. Yeah. Hey, tell me about yeah. the time you were sexually assaulted. Like, really? Why why would you want to talk about that? Yeah. So, but if you wrote about <laughs> exactly. it, it's fair game and it be prepared to talk about it. Yeah. No. No, you're exactly and you know, you have to be prepared to talk about it in a way that's not gonna make you too emotional. Yep. So if you you know, if, if, if you're going to, you know, if, if the possibility is there that it's going to cause you to get emotional and burst into tears or whatever, don't talk about it in, in this, in the person, in the uh, essay. Yep. So definitely. Yep. I agree. Those are, those are the kind of lines that I, I typically have for students is, is, um, yeah. well, two things. And let me get your take on this. Cause I talk about this a lot too. Uh, when, when students, and again, unfortunately I get a lot of questions from, uh, from students asking, is this something I can talk about in a personal statement, sexual assault being kind of one of those things that, that exposed that student to medicine, to healthcare, to say, wow, like the way that I was treated and taken care of, and like I want to do that for others. Um, yeah. it, the students yeah. ask, is that comfortable, that's, or is that okay to talk about? And, and a lot of times I go to, yes, definitely, right? Obviously, if it's part of your story, it's part of your journey, it's why you're mm -hmm. doing this, then you probably should talk yeah. about it. But potentially here are yeah. some ways to talk about it because, and, and, and I always kind of draw this line and we're two men here talking about this. And so maybe it's not completely, um, inclusive. Maybe, maybe Rachel wants to jump in and, and, and talk about this too. But a lot of times I go to, you don't want to make the person reading your essay uncomfortable, right? Reading mm -hmm. about someone's mm -hmm. traumatic right. event, whether it is sexual assault, whether it is something else, 
You don't want right. to make them uncomfortable. And it's just like, right. I, I've even made comments like, why are you talking about vaginal discharge in your, in your, right. Aside from sexual assaults, like just talking about a patient experience of like, Oh, this patient had vaginal, like, I don't care about someone's vaginal discharge. Yeah. I don't care about someone's <laughs> bowel movements. Like I just like I don't need those right, visuals right, in right. my head as as someone reading this. So I, I don't yeah. know what your thought is yeah. for that side of it as yeah. well. Yeah. <clears throat> I definitely think that you don't want to be too graphic. Yeah. Um you're you're exa- you're exactly right. You don't want to create images in the reader's mind that would be traumatic for them or distasteful or whatever. Um, so you really want to focus on not so much the event itself. I would be very sparingly in talking about whatever the event was, just give enough details to kind of get, get the reader, the understanding of kind of what the situation was and then move on very quickly to, this is what I learned from this. This is why I'm a better person. This is why I'm, as, as you said, more resilient or, uh, more motivated to do this or that or whatever. So you're right. You don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about, you know, it was an evening. It was raining outside. And I, you know, whatever. What are your thoughts, (laughs) Rachel? As as the woman here. Well, um, yeah. So gender is a factor. Um, Whether or not you've had trauma in your life is a factor when you talk about trauma. And I think all of us have had some form of trauma, but often similar traumas are more sympathetic to other similar traumas. It takes a lot of trauma work to start to realize that all trauma is trauma. Like that's a much further along part of your journey. Um, What I want to say is if someone out here is listening or watching this and is thinking, did they just tell me the victim to be quiet? That's not the message here. And and I know it's not, but I want to say it as someone who's not afraid to admit that she's been a victim. I don't think of myself as a victim anymore. I think of myself as a survivor. What, what, what I think the guys are trying to convey here. And I do agree with is sometimes when we tell our stories and it is so important that we do tell our stories, but if we tell our story to someone who's not ready for it, they get so pulled into feeling what you feel that they get pulled away from in this case, what is the point at hand, which is why medicine? Why do I want to be a doctor? Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer of turning your pain into power. Um, so if you feel like you are far enough past your trauma that you can talk about turning pain into power or pain into empathy or pain into compassion, then by all means, talk about it. But if when you were talking about it, you're still feeling a lot of that pain, then it might be that just by human beings being, I hope, mostly decent people, they're going to feel your pain too, which is good on a compassion level, but not so good on a thinking about why medicine level, because that's not the point. Um, Yes. I hope that that I hope that clarifies the message that we're trying to convey here. I would yeah, never absolutely. want anyone to think we're saying, don't tell your story. No, we're saying, no. think about when and how you're telling your story. And right now the topic at hand is per- we're saying personal yes. statement. So yes. why medicine? That's the question. Yeah. 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 Thank you for yeah. that, Rachel. Yeah. yeah it, right. It's, it's interesting. And going back to potentially even the, the comment Scott that you made about think about, 
how comfortable are you going to be talking about this in an interview without getting emotional? Now, obviously, emotions are human and they're natural and normal. But if we go back to a discussion we have all the time of what is the point of an interview and a point of an interview, obviously, to get to know you and, and hear you talk and, and think about your logic and all that stuff. But it's also to picture you as someone who's going to be taking care of my loved ones. Right. And if if you're sitting in front of me crying, emotional in what should be a professional encounter, I'm picturing you like giving bad, bad prognosis or diagnosis to my loved one. And you're sitting there more emotional than my loved one. It's like, well, how? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I like that picture. Yeah. Um, no, exactly right. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, I, you know, I, it, the interview itself is an emotionally um, heightening kind of experience anyway. Yep. And so it, you're super nervous and you're, you know, uh, it, it's just it, it gives rise to allowing things to happen that you can't necessarily control potentially. And so I think that uh, definitely, you, you know, you want to be clear when you're putting anything, as you said, Ryan, into your application because it does become fair game for an interview, <clears throat> particularly at schools where they're unstructured interviews and an interviewer could go anywhere with it that he, he or she wanted to. Yep. And uh, so I think you really have to be, you know, kind of careful. I've, I've had interviewees who I, I remember one year um, a, one of our uh, faculty was interviewing a, a, a student and asked the simple question, tell me why you want to go to medical school. And in a heartbeat, the applicant burst into tears and oh. cried the entire time. Oh no. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the, the interviewer felt terrible about it. And, and I gave her a lot of credit that the interviewer said, I tell you what, why don't we go for a walk? And so they walked around campus a little bit while they were, talking and interviewing and stuff. And I think it, it kind of served to, 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 to help the applicant to kind of get reengaged and, and not be so heightened. And it was a little bit more casual and stuff in an office setting or whatever. So I thought the interviewer did a really nice job, but it just goes to show you that you're already super heightened in terms of emotional stance. And so, um, you know, want, you don't want to necessarily do something that's kind of even, you would make that worse. Right. Well, uh, I think we've covered that topic pretty well. It does come up yep. a lot. So I'm sure you guys will ask again at some point in the future and, and we'll talk about it more when you do. Um, right now we've got a question from someone who sounds like maybe some of their old contacts have had some trauma. Um, thank you for your time and insight. What should non-traditional applicants do for the contact information if it's been a few years and the advisor is dead in jail or off the grid. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hope they're okay. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um wow. <laughs> but so here we go. <laughs> well, I guess if they're in jail, they still have current contact information. <laughs> yeah. Contact info. Uh county jail. <laughs> it might get it might get censored or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, talk about that, right? How how often are are you actually ever reaching out to those those contacts? 
Uh, that would be pretty much never. <laughs> pretty, pretty much never. Yeah. What would be yeah, something that yeah. you're just like, there's something way off here. I want to call and check. Well, you know, <clears throat> most of the time that occurs in a letter of recommendation or an mm -hmm. evaluation letter where, you know, the evaluator alludes to something or, you know, you, you just feel like there's some writing between the lines going on. And yeah. so I have had situations where we've contacted a letter writer yeah. and said off the record, you know, this is just a phone call. Can you, you know, give me a little bit more about what you're referring to here or whatever. And uh, it's, it's interesting how often the letter writer will be more comfortable, uh, you know, when, when there's no, you know, sort of paper trail to what they're saying. Yep. Both, whether it's good or bad, you know, I think that often it's a situation where they're trying to save face for the student or maybe for them or whatever. Yeah. So that, I would say that's more normal than than contacting someone that you shadowed or that you um, had a volunteer experience with or something and like that's, that. I, and that's I've not to really... give you free range to just make up stuff <clears throat> no. now because nobody's no, going to no, check. No, no, no. <laughs> There's always no, the possibility. no. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that there's, you know, I, I think what, what is clear is if, if there's ever red flags, if there's red flags that come up when you're reading the, the stuff in the application, or if you just get a really odd sense of the timeline's not working out here, or there's something odd about, you know, the, the applicant said something uh, in this section of the application, but said something else in another section, uh, which, which also goes to the issue of, be consistent when you're going out your application and your essays and all that. You don't want to forget what you said in one part and then say something somewhat different in another part. <clears throat> so, but all in all, I would say, you know, just, just be clear on what you did. But if there's red flags or something, it, it, it is potential that a, a, uh, an admissions officer, probably not a reader or a, uh, or a uh, interviewer or whatever, it would most likely be an officer in the office that, that works directly with admissions that would call up the, the person and say, hey, can I just clarify, you know, something about this experience that you have with the student? So, but more to the point of the, of the, um, of the question, I would say if, you know, if, if you don't have contact with the person any longer, uh, that you did this experience with and then all you can say is you know i don't i don't know where they are or they mm -hmm. they disappeared or or you know god forbid they died three years ago or you know whatever or yeah you know so yeah, you know i think what, you just have to be honest typically what i tell students because it comes up a lot specifically for non-traditional students is yeah absolutely is, usually right usually it's it's a location where you're doing your volunteering shadowing etc and it's not just one person who ever you had contact with right and so usually right. in those situations potentially just like drawing back a little bit instead of the physician maybe it's the office instead of the office it's the hospital right just getting it some level of contact that that somebody somewhere maybe can pull up a file that shows you were there yeah yeah. They may not be able to say much about the experience that you had as as the doctor would or the volunteer coordinator that you worked with or whatever. But I think that you're right. They can at least verify that you did it. Yeah. 
So um, sure. a, a question that that came in uh, that we won't show on the screen yeah. is that the name is on there, and it's one that we've talked about before. But formal postback versus do-it-yourself postback. Can you kind of briefly just uh, touch on that again? And and kind of is one oh, I, down upon is one better than? Now say that again. I'm sorry. Formal postback versus a do-it-yourself postback. Oh right, right. Yeah, I think, I don't think that, you know, I think the thing about formal postback programs is sometimes, not always, but sometimes they have connections with medical schools where if you, if you do well in the postback program and you, you know, complete it or whatever, then you get an automatic interview at such and such med school or, you know, something like that. There's these connections and stuff that can be beneficial. Linkages. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't uh, think of the right word. Um, so I think that's a, that's a, a benefit to a, a structured formal program. Some students, however, you know, can't do that. They, they either can't relocate or their money is an issue and they just, they, they can't, you know, uh, do that knowing that they've got medical school debt coming in, in, uh, just a year or two. So I think that, um, if you're, do, if you're on a do it yourself, uh, routine, then I would encourage you to do it at a school that has a good advising, general advising uh, program for pre-med students. Uh, they may not have a formalized postback program, but you can take postback classes there. And by virtue of doing that, you have access to the pre-med advisor or staff of advisors uh, that you can work with in preparing your application and choosing classes, uh, stuff like that. You don't want, and this is the downside to doing it at a community college, and is that number one, depending on your story, community college may not be the best option for you if you're doing a, a repair, a, a GPA repair work, for example, uh, then I would not recommend community college. Also, if, uh, if you're, um, you know, I would say the other thing about community colleges is often they don't have specialized pre-med advisors uh, there's a few that do, but my experience has been that a lot of them don't. And the advisor turn, turn, turnover at community colleges is very extreme. So, you know, you may be in a situation where you go through two or three advisors over the time that you're there, and that would not be uh, optimal. So I, I, I think the, the benefits are very relative to your own per, personal situation. And what you're looking at, and what's gonna what's gonna work for you in terms of location, in terms of costs, in terms of what your goals are, and what your past experience has been, uh, it's a very individual, I think, decision. But generally, uh, if you can't do a formal formalized postback program, you know, don't lament that. You can create your own uh, personalized program that will that will help you know get you to where you want to go if you have some good advising. And like I, us, I think, <laughs> like mapped, yeah, like the team at mapped. Um, I I think one yeah. of the the things that I always try to remind students is that they right they are the ones that will make or break 
anything, no matter where yeah, they go. Absolutely. They have to put the work yep. in. Whether they go to a formal post back or do it yourself post back, it's them that's putting in the work. And and the, yeah. the institution, the name on their post back certificate, if they get one, and there's there's no utility in a certificate granting <clears throat> post back or a non certificate granting one, whatever. Um, no, the the right. name on that certificate and the name on those uh, those extra classes, that's not typically almost ever going to be what makes or breaks your ability to to shine right that's right that's right it's you it's the it's the amount of work you put in on it that's going to be the key yep 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 uh rachel cool. do, you, do you see any other questions Rachel? yeah oh there we go we just got one uh oh what about diy at both community college and university yeah hacking together what works for their schedule yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, again, I, to me, I think it depends a little bit on your pat, your backstory. Um, if you're trying to sort of pace together things because of scheduling or because of cost, you know, at the end, it, it, you know, I, I always talk about good, better, and best or good, better, and optimal, you know, something could be optimal. Um, something could be, you know, good and something could be simply acceptable. Are community college courses going to be acceptable to meeting prerequisites and stuff like that? Absolutely. It's a, it's an accredited institution, et cetera. Is it going to be optimal? Well, maybe, maybe not, but you know, we all in our personal lives, we have to deal with, I, I may not be able to reach the optimal you know, mm -hmm. thing because of cost or because of my work schedule or because of family obligations or whatever. So you have to just work with what you got. And do the best you can pulling things together. And if you if you have to do some of the work at community college, and you can do some, you you really do have to, I think, um, supplement community college work with some advanced uh, sciences at, at the university level. To say if I'm making a 4.0 at community college, and I'm making a 4.0 at university, in upper level stuff, then I think it gives the admissions committee the feeling that, okay, there's credibility here yep. in terms of what they're doing. Yep. If, if yeah. you, however, make, you know, 4.0 at the community college and get to university and you're making B's, then they're going to say, well, the, the A's at community college may not have been really A's. They, yep. You know, it may have been that it was easier or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think it's about consistency. It's about whatever. So yeah, I'm excited yeah. to be able to to build that sort of algorithm into mapped. Like, okay, yeah. you, you did two years at yes. college. Great. Your grades are great. Oh, now you're at your four year university and you're you've dropped down to a three ish average. Let me give you some feedback on on why that is bad and why you need to be able to pick it up your yeah. senior year. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, depending on the depending on the institution that you're working with, if you if it's possible for and I just saw that the uh, commenter said it was due to cost and that the, the strategy was definitely lower level stuff at community college and higher level stuff at university. Great. If you can go ahead and take one class early on at the university level, that's going to give you access to advising at the university level. Even if you're going back and taking community college work later or at the same time, if you at least take one class at the university, then you, you're locked into being able to get that advising help 
at the university level that could be really crucial to uh, to your success. And so that would be a, a, another option for you. So we've got um, a pretty detailed question about MCAT prep here. Um, I thought I might yep. stay on because I don't know if you guys want me to hack it. Um, or if <laughs> You're one the of MCAT you, expert. I think I am. <laughs> That's why I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to take that. I mean, I do do two MCAT podcasts. So. That's true. Well, why don't we both chime in then? So I'll, yeah. I'll read it for the folks who are listening later and not watching. Uh, how do I self-study for biochem for MCAT prep? Uh, the person says, it seems that I'll have finished biochem just a couple months before I take the MCAT, but being a non-traditional student, I'd have to start prepping for the MCAT much earlier. So first, let me say, this is normal. It happens all the time. Um, the other thing is, it's such a bummer that it so often happens with biochem, because biochem is so important in the current iteration of the exam. Um, some people on this call, maybe some of the people who are live on camera, um, remember back when the MCAT was actually pretty distinct and like your biology and your orgo was only in your biological sciences. But now yeah. they've made kind of a much um, kind of a, a mix of the way the topics are um, asked and particularly with biochem, you can see it in biological sciences, you can see it in chem phys, and you may even see it some in psychosocial because of the neuro. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I don't think that it's the end of the world, but it is something that it's good that you're being mindful of now. Um, mostly what I advise people to do, and I've heard Philip Blueprint say this many times as well, is don't try to do just one subject at a time, because if you just do chem and then you set it aside and then you do your orgo and you set it aside, that's not really preparing you very well for the way the exam mixes it all up. So I would say, start studying for as much of the test as you can now. And if it does mean you have to skip some of the biochem, that's okay, but at least mix everything else together that you're ready for. Mm -hmm. um, and then just plan for more time doing biochem review at, at, you know, closer to the end of the prep. And keep in mind that until you do that, your full lengths may not really reflect your full ability because those scores are gonna be greatly impacted by having biochem in three of the four sections. Yeah. Yep. It's it's funny when you were talking about don't don't just study chem and don't just study bio all separately. The the thing that always comes to mind for me is sports analogies. And, and one of the things I always think about is golf, which I, I love golf and I haven't played golf in years, unfortunately. <laughs> Too busy with podcasting. Um is is the whole like practice as you play kind of analogy. And if you go to a driving range, anyone who who knows golf and goes to a driving range, right, most people will pick one club and hit hit a bucket of balls with like one club but that's not how you play golf you hit a driver and then you hit an iron and then you hit this and hit right. like it. and and like it's good to just keep switching it up and so same thing with mcat prep just keep switching it up and keep keep your your brain on your toes on its toes and and go from there but um as talking to brian talking to phil talking to claire on on the mcat podcast right the the key is usually like you can self-study one subject. I'd probably max it out at that to make sure, make sure you're, you're good with that <clears throat> stuff. Right. Yeah, if you're missing Absolutely. more prereqs than one, then you might not really be ready for your MCAT prep. Yep. I agree with that. Um, well, cool. our popcorn questions are popping kind of slowly. Before we go to a mapped, I know we were going to click around mapped. We did get one a little bit earlier that I just answered in the chat, but maybe we can circle back to. So we had talked about 
tough topics and personal statement. And then we sort of transition to like, no matter what the interview is about, it can be tough. And like we gave the example of someone just kind of bursting into tears. And immediately one of our friends watching said, I'm terrified something will come up and cry. Now, full disclosure, I already answered this in the chat and my answer was half pre-med advisor, half yoga teacher. So what I said is that's why one, you do mock interview practice and two, you learn to do extended breaths so you can hack your vagus nerve and activate your parasympathetic (laughs) system, right? Let's do some rest and digest so we don't panic while we're (laughs) testing. Um, I'll let someone else expand on that. Can you, can you hide some like carotid massage while you're like doing, uh, (laughs) doing an interview? Like, that's a really good question. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you Um, know, I, I think, I mean, my opinion is that one of the things that you have to do when you're prepping for an interview is recognize what is your propensity? What do you do physically or emotionally when you get nervous? And, you know, and some of it's basic. Some people get cold. And so you need to have, or, or they get they they get hot and they get sweaty. So the 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 message there is to layer your clothing so that you can take your jacket off or you can put your jacket on or whatever. Maybe you get dry mouth, so have a bottle of water there with you or have a, a breath mint. Camel pack you can, with a straw right there. Yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not quite that, but <laughs> but you know, I think that you have to think about. You know, the other thing that I see students do a lot is some students get, they clam up, they, they, they get really quiet and they don't want to talk or the opposite, they're chatty box and the interviewer asks one question and 30 minutes later, you're still answering it. So (laughs) I think you have to sort of, they've checked out, they're on their phone now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I've had both of those happen. And so I think you have to really think about what what in a in a really gut-wrenchingly honest sort of self-evaluative way kind of think about what is my propensity what do i you know what do i do when i get nervous and then work as as much as possible to put structures there that you can deal with that will help you with that so absolutely. That's, I mean, it, when I talk to students, the students who really, really struggle with mock interviews are the ones who think a mock interview is there or just in general practicing for an interview is there to be able to answer every question and to have an answer for every question and to think about every no. question that potentially could come up. And I always go back to exactly what you said is the goal of a mock interview, which every student should be doing mock interviews before their real interview, is to, number one, understand that you can answer every question that comes your way if you stop and think for a second. And and just understand that a lot of the times yes. it's the thought process of getting to the answer <clears throat> that is more valuable than just the final answer. So so that's that's one yeah. thing I throw yeah. out. But then number two is is literally like you said, understand what your body goes through in that stress. Are you a sweater? Are you mm-hmm. a dry mouther? Are you and be able yeah. to be ready for those situations in the interview? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing better than being gut-wrenchingly honest with yourself about what you do and what you're like and and stuff like that and then 
and then uh, think about how is that going to be affected when I get into this high intensity, high anxiety situation. Yeah. So (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. And it's got to be more than just thinking about it. Right. I'm like, oh, I think I'll be this way. I think I'll like, no, you need to put yourself in that situation and and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Which is a a lot of times students are like, can we do an interview where you, you ask one question and then you give me feedback after every answer? And I'm like, no, that's not how it goes. I want you to freak (laughs) out that you just gave a terrible answer. and I'm busy asking you the next one. You're like, wait a minute. I don't even hear what you're saying. (laughs) Torture. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> but that's life, right? It's, it's just the way it is. And that's uh, going back to sports, right? That's what made Tiger Woods one of the best golfers in the world back in the day was he was able to clear his mind after bad shots and go and just go back, well, that happened. Oh, well, nothing I can do about it and go and hit a good shot yeah. next. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <sighs> All right. Thoughts about AP credits and dual credit courses for Pre-reqs. Will medical schools accept them, and can they be substituted for higher level, higher level courses, or should they be retaken? Yeah, this is a great, uh, and 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 I think this is a question that comes up more and more with students fast tracking their way through high school and doing a lot of AP stuff or dual credits or you know whatever. And my advice on AP credit and uh, even dual credit in high school is to you know, I, I worry about that a lot. And uh, I think my advice is always to, if you, if you know in high school that you're on your way, on your trajectory toward medical school, this is really what you're wanting to do, <clears throat> then I think you want to just have in your mind that I, I need to take these courses uh, at the university level and uh, I need to, to work through them because you know, my worry is that if you're taking general chemistry in high school and you're doing it by, and then you're getting AP credit for Gen Chem 1 and 2 or Physics 1 and 2 or whatever, uh, then, you know, you're going to, by the time you get to the MCAT especially, you're going to be so far away from that material and you, you have nothing to build on. And it's going to be a real challenge for you. So, it, and to, to the broader or one of the more specific uh, questions in that uh, that was asked was, will medical schools take them? And and that's a, a hit or miss. So some some will and some won't, in terms of AP credit. So I, I think that you have to be really careful about where you're applying and what their what their standards are. What you do know is if you take them at the university level, absolutely they're going to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. And if you are using the AP credit you know, it's going to be hit or miss. And so you may, it may or may not work at some schools that will take you out of running for those schools. So, you know, I think you need to really be careful about that. And, and I know this hurts moms and dads who are paying for AP stuff and paying for dual credit and stuff. But I think what they, what moms and dads have to realize is what is the, what is the end result, end result goal here? Right. Is the end result goal to save you $30 or $300 or whatever on tuition? Or is the end result goal to get you into medical school? Yeah. Right. Focus on the destination here, not on these little it, itsy bitsy things along the way that you're trying to save, you know, what in the long run is going to be a small amount of money. 
Um, I wanted to chime in a little because I'm assuming this question is coming from someone who might actually still be in high school, maybe just recently Could graduated. Yeah. But there's still enormous value in doing AP credits and even dual credit courses just because oh, of sure. the rigor. So yeah. um, for, for those of you that I don't, I'm sure a lot of people here know something about college admissions because you, you guys, you students listening have at least gone through it. But the harder the rigor of your course load, the better your chances at the more elite schools. It's not just about the stats, it's about high school rigor. The other thing is just speaking as someone who's like been a mentor to really bright kids who kind of got knocked on their heinies when they got to college is having calculus taught to you by your high school teacher and then having it again in college makes co college calc so much better because it's so fast compared to high school. Yeah. Um, so we're definitely not saying oh, yeah. Skip all those rigorous things. We're just saying be ready no, 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 no. twice. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yes, take any absolutely. AP in high school. <laughs> no, yeah. thank you. I took like one or two, I think, and that was it. Yeah. It's, it's common now, you know, especially oh, yeah. for common. our listeners who are at um, suburban schools that are pretty large and pretty college-minded, that you mm -hmm. can have almost nothing but AP and honors your junior and senior year. Um, where your GPA is pulled down by taking just a regular non-AP course, you know, yeah. so there's so much pressure on the AP now. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's sort of a separate question when you're talking about, and then how will it help me again for med school, as Dr. Wright said. Yeah. yeah. You know, and this leads to another question that I, that I get asked uh, pretty frequently that I think might be interesting to cover here. And that is the question of students who are, considering doing an honors program at their uh, college or university. And I get to ask the question, you know, should I do the honors program? Will it look good in my application? Will it uh, help me in the, in the admissions process? Will that affect um, how school, how medical schools look at the courses that I'm taking, if there are honors courses or whatever. And my advice on that is you're in the wrong mindset to start with. Uh, you're in the, I'm going to do everything that, cause it looks good mindset. And that is the totally not right mindset to be in. The mindset to be in is, do I want to do this for the value of the experience that it's going to give me? Yep. And honors programs are great. They add a lot of richness to, uh, to your college experience. And if you want to do it and you have the ability to do it, I would say, you know, fine, that's great, you know, but don't do it because it's going to look good in your application. Yeah. Do it because you're going to grow out of it and you're going to be experiencing courses and the, the, uh, the depth of things that, that maybe you wouldn't get in the traditional classroom. So, you know, don't get in that mindset of, well, I'm going to do this because it looks good or whatever. That, that's just, that's just the total wrong path. I think. It's such a common mindset for students to be in. And it's it's the mindset yeah. I fight day in and day out just all the time. And I, I'm sure I've told you this story before, Scott, but I, I love telling it because it's it just really highlights the mindset. I was at a conference and a student came up to me after I gave a talk and I was back at my table handing out books and stuff. And, and the student came up to me and said, Dr. Gray, I have two things that I could do this summer, right? I was accepted for these two different programs. I have I have this program that involves X, Y, and Z, and I have this program that's A, B, and C. Which one should I do? And they were in the mindset of which one will look better when it comes yep. to applying to medical school. And I said, yep. which one do you want to do? 
And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, which one should I do? No. Yeah. Which one do you want to do? And and the student <laughs> literally, Scott, the, the student literally got mad at me, turned around and and stormed off because I, I wouldn't answer the question the way that he wanted me to answer it. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's something I fight daily, but it's it's so important because yeah. the more that you can stick to what you want to do and your passions and the things that you're doing, whether yes. it's an honors program that, that you brought up because the classes are smaller and you feel like you're going to be more engaged and, and you, you having better access to the teacher will make you more successful. Go do it. Cause you're going to have yeah. fun. Yeah. Not because it's going to look better on an application, which a lot Absolutely. of times it just really doesn't. Right. It's one little small. Yeah, flag. You're right. like, oh, look, an honors yeah. program. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a constant battle. <sighs> oh, there's a really good I, question. I love here. the bottom one there. <laughs> that's what what I, that's exactly what I was looking yeah. at. <laughs> yeah. Any advice uh, on how to navigate talking to your parents about medical school and explaining your path to medical school? So I, I'm going to start just briefly uh, on this one. Uh, having gone through this process, no one absolutely no one unless they are a physician or sometimes health related right they're a dentist they're a pa whatever where they know a little bit of the process absolutely no one knows what the heck you're going through when you go through medical school when you're a pre-med right typically you're a junior and undergrad and, and your family's like are you a doctor yet I'm like no i'm not a doctor right you take the mcat are you a doctor yet no <laughs> <laughs> first year of medical school you're a doctor now right i'm like no I, and and it's just something you just have to like i, I want to like print out these like satirical like here's my journey here's where i'm at kind of cards that they can just so you don't have to explain it every time at right, thanksgiving right, right. dinner Ugh, right yeah right. well you know i too i think that this is the kind of question that leads to the bigger discussion about parents in general <laughs> and uh, and I think that what I think a lot of the the answer to this question is, is that it depends on what your relationship is with your parents. And it also depends on what your parents background is. If your parents are college educated and so they know a little bit about higher ed and their own experience. And so they get it and they sort of know, you know, something about the pathway going into, you know, upper degrees and stuff like that. Then it's going to that's going to mean one thing. If your parents, if you're the first generation in your family to go to college and uh, and your parents really have no clue about anything, that's going to be a whole different level of conversation. Yeah. Just as you said, uh, Ryan, it's going to be very basic. You know, you're going to really be be giving them a primer on on higher ed in general, you know, and how, how all this works. And, uh, and, and I think secondarily to that is, uh, parents who are very, um, what, how would I say, um, intimately involved in all of the process. <laughs> yes, there you go. Uh, I even heard it, uh, uh, heard them described as attack helicopter parents. <laughs> attack helicopter. You know, so we're talking about we're talking about Apache, uh, mm. you know, helicopter or whatever here. And yeah. so I think that you know what what you know a lot of this is about your relationship with your parents and. Uh, what that's like, and is there? Do you have the ability to be honest and 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 really open with them? Uh, the biggest tragedy is when I've I've gotten was gotten uh, to dealing with students who did not want to go to medical school, 
and their parents were forcing them to do it. Yep. And this is a, just a tragedy to me because what it's going to do is it's either going to, it's either going to mean some really devastatingly potentially traumatic experiences for the student yep. or what is even worse is that the student's going to go through medical school and be miserable in their career. Yep. But, and it's all because the mom and dad forced them uh, on, on that pathway. And so I think ultimately, you know, it depends a little bit on your own experience with your parents and your relationship with them and what that's like. And, and uh, boy, it's not easy. I, 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 I completely, um, you know, completely understand that students sometimes deal with very difficult situations with mom and dad. So, yeah, I don't. I don't think I've told you this before. I don't think Rachel knows this either. But one of the one of the books that I want to write eventually is um, is the pre med playbook guide to being a pre med parent. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's need to understand. Yeah, there would be lots of parents around the country that would really love to have a book like that because they they earnestly, you know, I think most of them earnestly want to understand. They want to yeah. know what's going they have, on. They, they have the best be intentions. To, yes, they want most. to be supportive. Yeah, not all, but most. <laughs> not all. Not all. Most. <laughs> yes. Yes. There, there are way too many parents who try to live vicariously through yes, their their absolutely. children who absolutely. who put their own worth on what their parent their kids are doing and all that fun yeah. stuff. But that's <laughs> we can't fix that. Nope. Um, but we can educate and and hopefully um, help students through their parents. Yeah. So that's absolutely. A well, that's awesome. I, I'm sure there, there are probably some more questions, but I, I want to dive into the actual software real quick now that we have access to it. Um, so probably the best way, what, what shows up here? Oh, yeah, all three of us are there. Um, so this is my window here. Um, and the dashboard right now is empty, right? We're still building the dashboard. There's nothing too much there. Um, I have my course list here. I added one course and you can kind of see where we're playing with how do we, how do we provide a lot of information on just a little bit of, of a screen here. And so we have, oh, this is University of Florida's Chem 101 is their 2045. And it's, it counts as a science course for the MD application, DO application, Texas wait, application. Is, wait, is that a, an accredited school or? Hey, hey, hey. Oh, I'm sorry. It is the only. Off topic. The only Off accredited topic. school. Um, <laughs> so you can see little arrows here. I can sort. Obviously, there's only the one here, but we can add another one. Um, so let's add a new course here. Uh, do chemistry. I don't know where this course name goes. We're still learning. We'll do chemistry two. Program type is still undergrad. We'll do chem. And there's a lot of stuff here that, that we're going to play with. And so... Uh, if you have any feedback while you're watching this, let us know. Um, subject, chemistry. I got an A, of course, because I am awesome. Uh, and we'll say it was three credits. So right now, it's not checking off any of these boxes. Uh, we want that to be a feature to where we know that Chem 2046 is these science courses. Um, for, for the MDDO and Texas application. Uh, obviously, if you're repeating a course, we can check that off as well. So then you can see it gets added there. You get a little pop-up notification there. Um, and then we can sort and see fun stuff. Uh, and then on the dashboard, eventually, we'll have GPA um, 
graphs and other information that we can see. So lots of fun stuff there. Uh, again, you can kind of see, um, you can filter. Um, so you can see only the science courses. You can only see chemistry courses, whatever, right? Obviously, if I picked biology, none will show up because I don't have biology. Um, contact information. So I added Bob Dole. I don't know why Bob Dole popped into my head, but uh, <laughs> I added Bob Dole um, to my list. And so I marked Bob Dole as a, as a letter of recommendation person that you can see here. Um, you can add new contact information for people, mark them as letters of recommendations, all that fun stuff. Um, activities here. So again, I have shadowing for, for Bob Dole. And uh, if I want to add another shadowing, I can add a date here, a no end date because it was just a one-time thing here. And it was three hours and had a blast. And so <clears throat> the hours are automatically totaled so that you can keep track of this. You can um, keep, keep like a diary. I talk about this all the time. Have a diary of everything that you're doing so that when it comes to applying, you, you know what you're up to. Um, a general description of the entire uh, shadowing encounter, etc. Yeah. Um, MCAT, we're still working on. You can just add scores and stuff like that. We're going to add some uh, practice full lengths. Uh, med schools. So we have a med school list here. Um, I can filter by state to go, okay, I live in Colorado. I have two schools here. Let's look Colorado and Kansas. Um, I want to add University of Kansas to my list. So I little click that little, little flag there. And so when I go to my med school list, I have some schools that I'm thinking about which is fun. And then part of this uh, will want to have like estimated costs based on how big your school list is. And um, you can click in and see some information and we're going to have all the secondary essays in here as well. Um, so I'll just, I'm so excited. So excited. Mm -hmm. That's a basic rundown. We ha we'll have some resources and information and other stuff in here as well. So anything else I should show off real quick? I mean, I think that's, that's the stuff we can show right now. So once we have our dashboard built in, guys, then you're going to start to get to really see that it's not just information tracking like um, Dr. Gray is showing today, but like reporting and analytics. And Dr. Wright's working on um, some algorithmic stuff, not in terms of the coding, but in terms of the like... <laughs> if you were your personal advisor and he saw these things that you entered, what would he say? Yep. So we're going to, you know, um, you know, it's not just about the stats, but there are patterns. So, so Dr. Wright is thinking about, okay, when I see certain patterns, what are the comments that I'll want to make so that we're really trying to give you, you know, as you're entering this stuff throughout your pre-med process, right? Not just right before you apply, but in the years leading up to it, you can get some feedback. Yep. Well, here's a question. Residential colleges, programs that are more geared toward one specific type of major, will the software take that into account when adding some of the courses? If you need me to explain it better, I can definitely send a message about it. Uh, yeah, send a message. I, I'm assuming it's very similar. A lot of colleges are moving to like this Harry Potter style of, of mm -hmm. colleges within the school. A lot of mm -hmm. medical schools are mm -hmm. doing that now too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the question is, how does it affect your application? How does it affect 
the potential advice um, to give. Uh, in in my mind, if it if it's not a huge impact on the advice that we would give you um, and the advice potentially for the impact to medical school. I don't know how high up on, on the list it would be, but it'd be interesting to, to hear the students' thoughts on, on what they think. Yeah, I would, I would definitely like to see more. I mean, from, from a class perspective, we're pulling registrar data and we're pulling every class they offer. So like, this is, this is a really simple example and might not be as detailed as what the question asker is getting at, but at lots of schools, you can take chem for someone who just has to take chem and someone chem for someone who's going into some kind of science-based career. Mm. Right. And, and that might be broken out by collegiates, right. It might be like, you know, the, the science class, the chem class for the language majors and the chem class for pre-meds, but that already exists in lots and lots of places. And that's part of why we're pulling the entire registrar because yeah. at U Florida, for example, it's 2045. That's the, that's yeah. the chem that is, it's not the only chem one. It's the chem one that is the right choice for pre-meds. Yeah. yeah. And so just to show that, um, and this is just an example here, uh, so this is University of Florida's actual course catalog. And so we are going and gathering all of the course catalog information for all of the schools. Um, we have, I think, five or six people now doing this full time. Uh, so we should be able, no matter if it's a separate college within the college or whatever it is, all of that information should be in the course catalogs. And so just to show like Chem 2045, um, you can see all those classes here. Um, and again, I think one of the examples that I gave on National Pre-Med Day is knowing, hey, there's a 2045 lab do you want to add that too right having that sort of logic would be <clears throat> awesome yeah yeah absolutely uh, it's very exciting it is um, somebody asks will there be a way to link math with interfolio to track letters of rec requirements by school so i feel like that might be a two-part question linking map with liter interfolio not in you know a month and a half or two months or three months when this goes live, that we won't be there yet. The the, the maybe the, one day. Well, I I wouldn't say we would. I would I, I wouldn't say anything. Uh, w I think the the more likely scenario is we replace Interfolio. Oh yeah. Um, I love that. Um, random, random aside. But tracking letters of rec requirements by school, yeah, that's something we're definitely going to help you do. Yep. Yeah. That will be part of map as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So, so that's the like the kind of school specific stuff, right? When you add a school to your school list, Maps will be able to at some point go, "Hey, you added University of Florida Medical School to your list. They require these three letters of recommendations and these eight prereqs. You only have seven of the prereqs and two of the three letters. Here's." some some information so yeah that is the goal yep it is cool all right cool cool, cool. well wow. friends we've Thank come you. to the end of another episode now it's After time Jean. to say goodbye i'm so glad we've had this time <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's old school 
We are going to work on syncing up our songs. Are we Mr. Rogers? <laughs> we'll work on that offline, guys. Um, but for now, thanks as always for watching slash listening. And we will have another Ask the Dean. Uh, for those of you that are live, it'll be right here in the map group at 6 p.m. next week, next Monday. Next Monday, Monday, Monday. Awesome. All right. Thanks, all. Bye. Adios. All right, so there you have it. Another Ask the Dean in the Books, Episode 5. Again, please check out mappedmappd.com and see how it can help you on your journey to medical school, whether it's tracking your courses, understanding. We, we've gotten a lot of notes. Like, without Mapped, I wouldn't have really understood what this whole science GPA, non-science GPA, AMCAS GPA, Acomas GPA, really wouldn't have understood what that meant. And so perks right off the bat, and that's just the basics, right? That's just the foundation of what is to come. We'll be able to track your semester by semester trends and potentially give you some feedback and let you know if you're going off the rails, give you feedback on MCAT, feedback on your activities. We have a nice little diary entry found, uh, part in there right now where you can go and keep track of every activity that you're doing and every day that you're doing it. You can go leave a little note so that when it comes time to apply to medical school, you have all of that information right there inside of Mapped. Again, mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. Go check it out today. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Ask the Dean.